All right, good to see everybody this morning. We, are, uh, we started a new series last week on the topic of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I'm excited about this. This is going to be our, our, all our summer series messages for uh, the summer, and we're going to go through the book of Acts. And basically, the book of Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles in the beginning and the starting phase of the church. And let me just stress this before we get started, is that without the work of the Holy Spirit within the life of the church in its infantile stage, it never would have got off the ground. And think about it for a moment. You've got this band of of hodgepodge of people with all different types of backgrounds that... God used their life and empowered their life to basically, I don't like to say turn the world upside down, but to turn the world upside right for Jesus Christ. And it's amazing the impact that the early church, starting with 120 people who began to pray and seek the face of God, how they changed the culture around them. And people didn't know what to do with these 120 crazy people who were now empowered with the Holy Spirit and with the message of Christ to go out into their world and to make a difference. And here's the thing. The church is so much more than just four walls and comfy pews sitting in air conditioning. We all know that, right? It's so much more than that. In fact, what Christ wants to do in your life is to not only change your life, not just to make you a churchgoer. You You ever hear that when 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 you start going to church again, your, your friends come up and you say, ah, oh, you got religion now. You're starting to go to church. You got religion, huh? You're starting to go to church now. And, and they, they equate it with just going to church. But for those, of you, for those of you who have received Christ and made him Lord of your life, it's like it's so much more than just going to church. He's actually changed my life. And when I wake up on Monday morning, it's different. When I go to work, I'm different. The way I treat my wife now is different. The way I interact with my children is, is different. My, my vocabulary has been cut in half. It's just all these things have changed in my life. You, you know what I'm talking about. And, and the things that I used to do are now different. And, and so what, what the early church did is not just bring another religion. How many of you know we don't need any more religion? Somebody say Amen. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. I was watching the other day. I didn't watch the whole thing. I caught part of it, but I did TiVo it. I know some of you caught it. Um, Barbara Walters did a special on heaven. It's a repeat. They did it a while back, but I saw it again. I go, I want to make sure to take this. because so I'm going to watch again. I caught different parts of it. And what was interesting, you know, she interviewed a bunch of different people, a bunch of different religions about what their view of heaven is and how we get there. It was very interesting. And uh, what I noticed with a lot of people's definition of how to get there, it was interesting how people just made up what they wanted to make up. They just made up stuff like, well, this is what I think and this is what I think. And I'm like, really, is this what you think and this is what... I'm like, people are just making up whatever they think and this is what heaven's going to be like. Didn't hear a whole lot about hell because everybody wants to go to heaven, right? And, and all of a sudden, I, I began to think to myself, isn't it amazing how we try in our own strength to figure out spiritual things in our, in our finite minds when God has given us his word and has shown us everything we need to know? Religion is man's attempt to try to reach God. 
But a relationship with God is completely different. God has already reached out to us. God has shown us through his son what it means to have eternal life. God has given us through his word how we get to heaven, the purpose of our life, the, the reason why we're in the dilemma that we are in today. And it's interesting, man's futile attempt, it's like the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis when they tried, when man's attempt was to try to build this big, you know, pyramid to reach the heavens. We're going to do it. We're going to try to reach God. We're going to figure out all these questions. And you know what? We just end up in a huge mess. And everybody has their own different idea about it. But God says, listen, stop trying to figure it out on your own. I've done all the homework for you. I've already, isn't that great? Didn't you like when someone did your homework for you in school? Um, God's already done it for us. Jesus has already done it for us through his work on the cross and through his resurrection. So here's my challenge to you today, and, and which I would have told to Barbara Walters if she would have interviewed me, because I would have done a lot better job than those other Christians that she interviewed. No, I'm just teasing, because some of them were pretty lame. I'm like, okay, you didn't answer her question, okay? Barbara, call me. You know, I was going to tweet her and said, here's my number. Barbara, interview me. I'll give the correct answer through the word of God. No, I'm just teasing. Um, Here's the thing. God has given us everything we need to know him, to know the reasons for life, and to know how to have a relationship with a living God. And it can only happen through his son. God is not someone up in heaven that is so hard to reach that we cannot understand. God actually came to earth and human flesh and walked among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he showed us the way to God. Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. You've seen God himself. And here's what, here's what Jesus says to those who follow him. As believers began to follow Jesus, Jesus began to talk about his death. He says, I have to die. I have to do this work. I have to go to the cross for this reason. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Every single one of us are lost because of our sin. Sin has alienated us from God. And it's amazing to me how people are trying to seek God without first going through the cross. Because man's biggest problem, people, is not education. It's not straightening out our education system, even in the mess that it's in. It's not the economy. You're going to hear a lot about the economy in the next six to 10 months, right? With the presidential, we're going to hear a lot about the economy. The economy isn't our biggest problem. Gas prices are not our biggest problem. What's going on in the Middle East is not our biggest problem. Those are all problems. We need to look at them. But our biggest problem is sin. Every single one of us are sinners and have fallen short of God's perfection and God's glory. And the only way to rectify that and to reconcile that is through Jesus Christ who paid the price for us that we could never pay ourselves. And so Jesus came to seek and save us and and to deliver us from our our sins so that the road that we're on is not headed to eternal damnation apart from God, but a life that's headed to eternal life through Jesus Christ who conquered the grave, who now sits at the right hand of the Father. And so as he began to teach the disciples, they were asking questions like, well, Jesus, where am I? Where are you going? We're we're kind of afraid. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. For in my Father's house are what? Many 
rooms, many mansions, many dwelling places. And, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And, and Thomas says, well, how do we know the way? Jesus, tell us the way. And Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. No one comes under the Father except through me. There's your answer, answer, Barbara Walters. Okay? That's your answer. It's through Christ. He's the one that paid the sin debt. And I'm not saying these other great religious leaders have not done great things or, or, or great things for people or humanitarian works, but none of those deal with the major problem of our sin. Jesus did it for us. So then at the times we need to ask, well, Jesus, you're going to leave us. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but there's going to be one that's going to come just like me, who's going to give glory to me, who's going to reiterate everything that I've taught you. And that person is the Holy Spirit. And here's what's interesting. Some churches talk about the Holy Spirit. Some churches don't. Some churches are Father, Son, and Holy Bible. They really, you know, for, for this reason, many people fall into two camps as you talk about the Holy Spirit. Some don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. Some overemphasize the Holy Spirit through a lot of emotionalism and a lot of weird stuff and goofy stuff that goes on. But let me, hear, let me just tell you here, today, let me relieve your mind. There is a balance and there is the person of the Holy Spirit who wants to dynamically work through your life to give you power for living. And some of you are here today, you say, well, you know, you know I, I've never really heard about the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. So I'm just going to warn you now, we're going to look through a lot of verses today about the person of the Holy Spirit. As we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would be your comforter. He would be one who would come by your side who would not just be with you, but dwell in you and give you power for living so that you can be my witnesses within the world. Let me just say this. The church cannot survive without the Holy Spirit. The early church could not survive without the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Peter? What was Peter like when he was walking with Jesus? He loved Jesus. He walked with Jesus. But did he deny Jesus? Was he kind of wimpy? I mean, there was a, you know, when Jesus was going to trial, there was a junior high girl that just questioned Peter. And, you know, she was probably in seventh grade. She probably weighed about 80 pounds. And she went up to Peter and said, aren't you with him? And what did Peter say? I don't know that man. He was afraid of a junior high girl. Now, some junior high girls are pretty tough, by the way. So I'm afraid of some junior. My daughter's getting ready to go into junior high. And she already scares me. And she's only 10. But anyways, because she's just like her mother. But anyways, um, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just being truthful, okay? Um, but, but here's what happens. After Jesus' death and his resurrection and before his ascension, as he spent 40 days working with the disciples and training them and teaching them, all of a sudden, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, afraid of the very men that murdered Christ and sent him to the cross, now he speaks right before them and the power of the Holy Spirit is no longer afraid. Isn't that amazing? Peter could not do it without the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it without the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to challenge you today as your pastor to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
to walk continually in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And some of you here today, you say, you know, I read my Bible and I love Jesus and he's done great things. And, and that's wonderful. But I want, I want to tell you today that, you know, sometimes I think in Christianity, we rely, we rely a lot on our own strengths and our own giftings and our own abilities and not really on the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Jesus wants our church to be empowered by this gift that Jesus gave the church so that the church could be edified, so that your lives could be strengthened, so that you can overcome temptation and sin and the schemes of the enemy. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit within inside of you, and he wants to flow through you and give you power for living. So let's, let's look at, at, at what this Holy Spirit did. Now, I, I want, I, here's, here's one thing I want to show you, and, and, and one of the major purposes we dive into the book of Acts as we go through the book of Acts through this series, is that, remember, you've got two completely different groups of people that are now going to be blended together under the headship of Jesus Christ. You've got Gentiles who were non-Jewish, and you've got Jewish people who now have, have received Christ as their Messiah, and Jesus, under, under his headship, is trying to blend these two people together who didn't like each other. In fact, the Jews said, if, if I come in contact with a Gentile, I become unclean. So there is this separation. In fact, even in the temple where people would go to worship, that there was this wall that separated Gentile people who, who, wanted, to, who wanted to worship God themselves, who wanted to be part of, of the Jewish religion. There was even a wall, and it was the wall of the Gentiles that separated them from going any further into the temple. There was all these divisions. There was a wall that separated women. So everybody was kind of segregated within the temple. You could only get so close to God. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and remember during his death that when he died, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the other part of the temple was ripped in two, meaning there was no more separation that we could come to God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, where when we are in Christ Jesus, there's no male, nor female, nor slave, nor Greek, nor Jew. We are all what? One in Christ Jesus. Okay, Amen, Pastor. Looking 2,000 years forward, that's easy because we're all sitting together and we all have different backgrounds, don't we? Some of you may have Jewish backgrounds. Some of you may be Italian, which is the best. Some of you may be Irish. Some of you may be whatever, okay? But we're all blended together. We don't really have a big issue with that today, do we? It's not really huge. Back then, it was huge. And so through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, it blended these two people together. And what needed to occur was that when the message and the gospel message went forth to the Gentiles, the Jewish believers who were first saved witnessed that God was doing the same work in these Gentiles. These Gentiles who were pagan, who served pagan gods, who didn't serve the one true God. How can they be part of the family of God? And God said this, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so what they witnessed before their very eyes is the Holy Spirit indwelling all flesh, bringing the church together. So the power of the Holy Spirit was so important in the early church to blend these two groups together so that they would walk into unity. So as Peter and the other apostles 
saw God working in the hearts of the Gentiles, they knew that the same gift of the Holy Spirit that was poured out upon them on the day of Pentecost was also being poured out upon the Gentiles. And they're saying, well, what should keep us from baptizing the Gentiles? They're receiving the same gift that we received. And prophecy is true that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh and blend His church together under the power of the Holy Spirit. For us here today, not too big of a deal. Back then, huge deal. Because there would have been rifts and, 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 and division and all kind of problems. And we're going to look as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see the problems that occurred in the early church when these two groups were being blended together. For those of you that say, well, let's go back to the book of Acts, Pastor. They had no problems. The church was perfect back then. Well, then you haven't read the book of Acts because it's not perfect. They had a lot of problems. And through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to work through their differences so that the church would not be destroyed. So let's look at this work of the Holy Spirit and what, what happened, how did it occur, and uh, uh, what began to uh, occur in the early church that made it so powerful. So if you've got your notes or your Bibles, let's start off with Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And I want to look at what the Holy Spirit did in the early church. And I believe it's still working today. What, what began to happen is in the early church, before Jesus left, before he ascended into heaven, he told the followers of him to say, listen, wait in Jerusalem until you've been filled or baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit before you go out and before you become my witnesses. This is vital because you're going to need this power within your life before you become my witnesses. And so what began to happen is these 120 or so believers were in Jerusalem and it was the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost is a harvest festival that the Jewish uh, people celebrate. It's 50 days, Pente, 50 days after the Passover. And all these people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate these major Jewish festivals. So you have all these people that have come into Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of Pentecost. And you've got these 120 believers that are praying for this promise that Jesus said he would give them if they would seek his face. So here they are, they're praying, they're waiting for this promise. We talked about it last week in the book of Joel. God said, I would pour out all my spirit. Ezekiel the prophet also prophesied about God taking their heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh, that he would literally put their spirit within them, that their bodies would now become the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he just wouldn't reside around them or they wouldn't just see his presence like they saw in the temple. But God said, I'm actually going to put my spirit, my presence within you. So you've got this group that's waiting for this thing to occur. And look what happens. Let's read Acts chapter 2 because Luke records for us what happens during this event. And all I can say, it's just cool what happens. It's just neat. So let's see what happens. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all gathered together in one place. They were all in, in one accord. That, that's the type of car that the disciples drove. They're all in one accord. Okay, just, that was really bad. You can use it if you want to, but that was a bad joke, okay? So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled. I want you to underline that word in your notes. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues or other languages, is the interpretation there in the Greek, as the Spirit, as God, the Spirit, not this didn't come from themselves, I want you to understand. This came from the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is so cool about this event is that these people, mostly Galilean, um, they were kind of from the backwoods. If you were Galilean, you had an accent. If you went in Jerusalem, you knew you weren't from Jerusalem. You were probably uneducated if you came from Galilee. And so they even, even had, a, they had a southern draw in their Galilean accent. People knew that they were not from Jerusalem. And so um, what began to happen is they began to speak in these other tongues or other languages. Now remember, when people were gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost, they came from all over the region and spoke many different languages. So what began to happen here is God testified through the power of His Holy Spirit, as they began to speak in these other tongues or other languages, they were speaking the languages of those people that were around them, that were there to felt, celebrate the feast. And they began to go, what in the world is going, what are those crazy 120 people doing? They're speaking our language. This is a miracle of God as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Luke tells us there's this 120 believers praying for the promise of the Holy Spirit, And what happened was those that were gathered together were praying to be filled with this power of the Holy Spirit. This was the promise that Jesus told them about. Now look at Luke. Let's back up. Luke brings a little more insight to this in his gospel in Luke 24, 49. He he describes the very words of Christ. And this is what Jesus says. He says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Underline that word upon, because we're going to dig into this a little deeper. I'm going to send the promise of my Father, speaking of the Holy Spirit, which is literally going to come upon you. But he said this, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus' words, clothed with power or filled with power. Wait till you've been filled with this power from on high. Luke, recording the book of Acts, explains it a little more as we back up into Acts chapter 1. Let's read what is said there. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But Jesus said, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. Isn't that incredible? And I want to look at this word baptized because he goes further in verse 8 where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come What? Upon you. There's that word again. We're going to dig into that. And you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus is saying is you need this power from on high in order to truly be my witnesses, not only here, but around the world. Now, what's interesting about this word baptize is, that Jesus uses here, it's very interesting because he told his disciples that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now we understand that water baptism is an outward sign of what Christ did in us. 
The significance of water baptism in the New Testament ceremony is this. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are literally baptized into his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. And when we are raised out of the water, we are symbolically resurrected. We identify with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Now, baptism doesn't save us, but it's our witness to the world that we've died with Christ and we have risen with him in newness of life, that he has cleansed us from our sins. And baptism in the first century church was a witness to the world that we are now followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, when they were baptized, they would always be baptized in public so people could see. Now, in the first century church, when you were water baptized, basically what you were saying was, I give my life to Christ and I might die for Christ. I might literally have to give my life for Jesus Christ. So baptism, we believe in our church, is still important today. We don't believe a little dabble, do you? All right. I was sprinkled with water when I was a little baby, but I don't remember it. I don't remember what happened. And so when, when I became saved and I began to follow Christ. I became water baptized because I wanted the world to know that I now identify with Jesus Christ. So Jesus explains this same type of baptism when it comes to the Holy Spirit. What's the meaning behind this word baptism? Well, what we understand about this word in the, in the Greek language, baptizo, which describes this process of dipping a cloth or garment into a vat of color to dye it. And what they would do is they would leave it there long enough for the material to soak up the new color. And then pulling that garment out of the dye with it being permanently changed through its outward appearance. The only way I can describe this is if you color Easter eggs. You get the dye ready and you stick that egg in there for a while and the white egg, if you use the white egg, you stick it in there into the dye, you leave it in there for a while, you pull the the egg out, that egg is completely submersed in that dye and that dye completely changes the color of that egg. What Jesus is sharing with his disciples is that they will be literally dyed in the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It will completely come over you and upon you. And this is a gift that God gives all believers. Now let's understand what this is and what Jesus is saying. Because this is where some teachings may go in different directions depending on the way you were raised. But let's get very biblical here. And I'm going to tell you how I see it through Scripture about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let me make myself very clear here um, on, on what I see the Scripture saying here. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate and distinct from regeneration or salvation. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is I believe that when you are saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to explain through Scripture what I mean. But after we are saved... I believe there's this work or this baptism or this filling of the Holy Spirit that God desires every believer to experience in their life. Somebody say amen. Even if you don't believe it, say amen. No, because you will. I'm going to help you out here, okay? I'm going to walk you through it here, okay? And let let me just give some credit here. Um, 
Pastor Chuck Smith, head of the Calvary Chapel Church, has wrote a great book called Living Water, and he does some great explanation here. So I'm just going to rip him off right now and just share some thoughts that Pastor Chuck, just a wise, wise old pastor who's been doing it for a, while, a long time season, he just gave some great teaching on this. So I'm just basically going to rip Chuck Smith off right now. Thank you, Pastor Chuck Smith, for allowing me to share what you researched because he did a great job. So let me give you some passages here to reiterate this as the work of the Holy Spirit relates to us and why I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is secondary to the work of salvation in our life. Let's look at the scripture in John 20, 22, because we must start there. John 20, 22 says this, Jesus was with his disciples and he said this to them and he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is before the day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit literally came upon them and baptized them. This is a very important verse here. What Jesus did was he breathed on this man, they received the Holy Spirit at this point, the Holy Spirit indwelled them. Now, some do not accept this interpretation and believe that Jesus' actions here were only, only symbolic of what was to come. I do not believe that. And I'll tell you why I don't believe that. Okay, I'm gonna, This is my opinion. This is what I believe the scriptures are saying. Uh, other people uh, don't agree with this and, and they believe it's only symbolic. They are wrong. Okay? I'm just saying. I'm just... Okay, I'm just going to be, okay, they're wrong. Okay, so some would say that regeneration or salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are one and the same experience. Survey says, and eh, it's not, and I'm going to show you why. John 20, 22 was a, they believe was a preview of what was to come the day of Pentecost. Now, this is hard for me to believe that nothing happened at this point. We know something happened when Jesus breathed on them because Peter began to get pretty excited. Peter began to get so excited that Peter began to organize the church and begin to pray and obey Christ's word. So we know something, just nothing happened. Like, how come Jesus just didn't say, well, this would just be symbolic, okay? This is just going to be symbolic, so I'm going to breathe on you, and this is just going to be symbolic. No, something happened in their lives, and we can see that in the person of Peter. What's interesting here is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something happened, and, and something later, subsequent to their receiving the Holy Spirit from Christ, happened in the book of Acts. Some would say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, Pastor, wait a minute. What about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it says we're all baptized by the Spirit into one body? Huh. What about that scripture? Because I've heard that taught by many People on the radio and other pastors, I've heard that taught. And what about Ephesians 4, 4 and 6, where Paul says again, there is only one baptism of the Spirit. So the argument is there is only one baptism into the body of Christ and everything occurs at salvation. So there you go, pastor. What about those arguments? And I know some of you, maybe in your upbringing, have been taught that. The problem I see here is that we miss the interpretation Paul taught in both passages this, that there is one single body. What Paul was warning against, he wasn't talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of 
Acts in, in the day of Pentecost, he was talking about splitting the church. He didn't want to see divisions among the church. What he said, there is only one baptism. There isn't a, an assembly of God baptism. There isn't a Methodist baptism. There isn't a Baptist baptism where we say, well, the assembly of God bap- baptism is better than your baptism. And, 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 and ours is more superior than yours. That just splits the church. That's what Paul was talking about. There is one Lord and one baptism. The two passages are not good arguments to disprove the subsequent work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as we will see, scriptures specifically tell us that the filling of the Holy Spirit was separate and distinct from salvation. And so what does that mean for you and I here today? That means that we need to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. We we can't settle on the fact that, okay, I'm saved, I have the Holy Spirit, and that's it. There's something more that the Bible records for us that was very important in the life of the early believers that we need to have today in our very lives so that we can live through the power of Jesus Christ. So now remember, it was the 120 believers that were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to our lives? Let me break it down for you so it's crystal clear. What is the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to our lives? Well, we can see the Holy Spirit working in one of three ways when it comes to your personal lives. In order to understand this, we must understand three key prepositions when we look at the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the Word of God. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to land blast you with, with, some, with some scriptures here so that you have it in your notes. You can look at it later so you don't think I'm crazy in teaching heresy, okay? Because I want you guys to have this and understand it, okay? So in order to understand this, we need to look at three key prepositions. First of all, let's look at John 14, 17. Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit says this, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, yet you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, I want you to underline those two words, with you and in you. Jesus first tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells with us. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit will be with you or alongside you. This word with is the Greek preposition para, which means the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit's within the world. It's the Holy Spirit that draws you to God's side. It's the Holy Spirit that will convict the world of sin. So when you feel guilty and, and, and convicted about your sin, guess who that is? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with you. He will draw you to Christ's side. He will draw you to God if you listen to him drawing to it. It's God's will that all come to repentance and know Christ and follow him. That's God's will that you come to repentance. So the Holy Spirit is with us. It's drawing us. It convicts us. In fact, when Jesus walked with the disciples, God's presence was right there with them because Jesus was with them. And Jesus, but I'm going to leave 
but I'm not going to leave you orphaned or alone. I'm going to send you one just like me in my essence, in my presence, not only to be with you, but Jesus says ultimately to come in you. So Jesus tells them soon the spirit will, will be more than just with you, but actually the spirit will be in you as prophesied by prophets in the Old Testament. So Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit not only be with us, but also dwell in us. Now, the Greek preposition there, in, is the Greek preposition, en, which, dis- which is described in John chapter 20. The Spirit went from dwelling with them to actually coming in them as Jesus breathed on them. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming in us and sealing us for the day of redemption. Now, this is the same as our experience. The Holy Spirit is with us before conversion, convicting us of sin. Once we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us and we are healed and redeemed from the chains of sin. We are sealed for the day of redemption. We know that we are God's children because he's the one that saves us and redeems us and heals us from our sins and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Now, here's the cool thing. Most people stop there. But guess what? There's more. There's more, just like the infomercials. For $19.99, there's more. If you act now, you'll get something more. Here's something more. Here's the cool part. It doesn't stop there. Jesus in Acts 1.8 says, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power and you will be my witnesses. So Jesus tells us, not only will the Holy Spirit be with you, the Holy Spirit will be in you, right, to seal you, to make you God's children. And the Holy Spirit seals us to the day of redemption. Does that mean we still make mistakes in our life? Everybody say yes, okay? We all make mistakes. If we say we're about sin, we, we call ourselves liars. We still need to repent from our sins. But the Holy Spirit is within you now. It seals you. You are now God's child. You are now his children. You are no longer bound by, by, by your past and by sin any longer. We are now God's children. But then Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will come upon us or fill us. This is the Greek preposition apai, which means upon you or over you. Now, here's the only way that I can, let me illustrate this because some of you are totally confused and you're looking at me like you're deer in headlight. Okay, let me explain this to you. Okay. Best way I can explain to you is this pitcher of water represents the Holy Spirit. Okay. This is you, this glass, okay? And this is just not to get water all over the carpet because Ruth Brooks will yell at me. Okay, so here's the cup. This is you. The pitcher represents the Holy Spirit. Before your conversion to Christ, the Holy Spirit is with you, alongside you. It's drawing you. It's convicting you. There was something that drew you to God's side. There's something that got you interested in wanting to know, what's this God thing? What's this Jesus thing all about? That's the Holy Spirit's work within the world. It's convicting us of sin and drawing us to the Savior, Jesus Christ, is with you. So when you are saved, the Holy Spirit, guess what? Boy, that, doesn't that sound good? I'm thirsty now. The Holy Spirit comes in you, okay? Now you are sealed for the day of redemption. You're forgiven. The Holy Spirit's in you. But here's what Jesus says. Not only will the Holy Spirit be in you, but I want the Holy Spirit to come upon you and overflow your life. Woo! Amen? 
This is his desire that the, that the Holy Spirit not only be in you, but literally flow through your life. And this is where I believe we miss it in Christianity. This is where we miss it. We miss this powerful, ongoing spirit filling us daily in our life. The apostle, the apostle Paul even said, he says, but walk in the spirit or be filled with the spirit. Don't be drunk on wine that leads to all kind of immorality, but be filled with the spirit, which means keep walking, keep being filled with the spirit. The only way I can explain it is we're like helium balloons and we all leak. And so sometimes what happens is we're, we're, we believe in Christ and we're following him, but our life is not dynamic. In fact, when Jesus talks about be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that word powers is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Just as J.J. Walker used to say, dynamite, okay? He, anybody remember that? Am I that old? Okay, I'm just checking all the old people out there. Um, he, 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 he wants your life to be dynamite, to be powerful to continue flowing with this power. So, so let's be careful here that we just don't settle for just this nice, comfortable Christian life that I read my Bible, I do what I need to do, but yet I'm not experiencing this power in my life. Through the book of Acts, we see this occurrence. And one of the best examples I can give you is, is the Apostles Paul conversion on the road to Damascus. And, and what I love about this, at the moment... As Paul is heading to Damascus, we understand he saw this bright light and, 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 and he had a vision of Christ and, and, and we understand that he submitted to the lordship of, of Jesus Christ on that road. The sign of conversion that we see in the word of God is when someone submits to the lordship of Christ, which Paul did at that moment. On the road to Damascus, when he was blinded and heard the voice of Jesus, Paul, why do you persecute me? Paul knew that he was Lord and he submitted to his lordship. Now, here's what I want to express to you. The word tells us that no man can call Christ Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that interesting? 1 Corinthians 12, 3. So at that moment, Paul, as he submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and exclaimed the lordship of Jesus Christ, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came inside of him. He could have not expressed, Jesus, you are Lord, and truly mean it, as the scriptures say, unless it's done through the Holy Spirit. However, it was days later that he was actually filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I wish I had more water, okay? Days later, he was actually overflowing or filled with, let's look at the scripture, Acts 9, 17. And Ananias, which he was supposed to see and go to, and that was the directions that, that Paul was given after his conversion. It says, after Ananias departed and, and, and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight because he went blind and be what? Filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit or literally baptized in the Holy Spirit. So once again, we see a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit after conversion. 
It was something that occurred after he was saved. Okay, if you don't believe me, let me give you another verse here. I love this verse in, um, in, in the book of Acts, once again, that tells us in Acts chapter 10, when Peter was, was, was brought to witness to Gentiles. And listen to what, what happens here. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among them, the circumcised or the Jewish followers who came with Peter were amazed because they saw the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the Gentiles. So they're like, whoa, this gift that was given to us, the Jewish believers, are now given to the Gentiles. This is pretty cool because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, how can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we received? These were God-fearing Gentiles who were following Christ, who now, by hearing the word once again, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, Paul is on, uh, 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 Paul uh, runs, uh, against these uh, or comes up against these disciples in Ephesus and he begins to talk to them and, and he begins to ask them questions about their faith and he says have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed and they said no because we only received the baptism of John the Baptist so what Paul did is he lay, lays hands on them they received the gift of the Holy Spirit they began to speak in other tongues and they began to prophesy and so the Holy Spirit was poured out upon these followers of Christ. It was subsequent to their conversion, and now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice something here. Jesus says, receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something about the filling of the Holy Spirit. This gift is not some one-time thing. God's desire is that we actually are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we look through the book of Acts, you see that God continually poured out his power upon these early believers over and over and over again to do tremendous acts for God that they could not do in their own power. Let me give you one example. I love Acts chapter 4. Here Peter, remember Peter, who wimped out in front of a junior high girl, Peter in Acts chapter 4 is standing against these religious elite people and they are persecuting him and they're telling him to stop talking about Jesus. You need to stop it or we're going to persecute you and we're going to bind you up, we're going to hurt you. You need to stop talking about Jesus. So let's see what Luke records for us in Acts chapter 4, 5 and 10. It says, On the next day, there are rulers and elders and scribes, all these religious people gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, the, the, John and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family, they began to persecute Peter and began to question him. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do these things? Do you heal people that you express this gospel message of Jesus Christ? By what power do you do this? Notice Peter then Peter, what's the word there? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, if you're, if you're 
If you're persecuting, it's because the crippled man was healed. You've got issues. You've got problems here, okay? By what means was this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, man, he's getting pretty cocky. He's getting pretty bold here, isn't he? The same guy that couldn't stand up to a junior high girl is stand up to the very people who crucified Christ. He says, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well in your face. No, that's not what he said. But he said, listen, Peter being full of the Holy Spirit. Now you, you say to yourself, well, wait a minute. Peter was already filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, he was. But then here he is filled again with the Holy Spirit to speak against these religious elite that are persecuting him, God giving him boldness in that situation to stand up against his accusers. Pretty cool stuff, right? Okay, it doesn't end there. Let's go on to the end of the chapter in, in Acts 4.31. So Peter's released. He goes back to this area where people are praying. The church is praying for for Peter. They're on their knees for him. They know there's persecution that's occurring in the church now, and they're praying. And it says, and when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What? They were filled. Well, I thought there already, isn't there, isn't there one filling, Pastor? Because that's what I was heard. That's what I was told. There isn't. There was these multiple fillings of God's power in their lives so that they could handle extreme situations in their life. When this group of believers were praying and seeking, seeking God's face, God blessed them. God empowered them so that they could do what? Speak the word boldly. They weren't timid. They weren't afraid. They weren't fearful of what man could do to them. How could they do that in the midst of persecution and beatings and stonings? How could Paul do that, almost being killed on many occasions? How could Paul stand up against his accusers and mockers? He was filled with the power of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this filling can happen more than once. This is an ongoing work of the Spirit in our life. So wasn't Peter filled at Pentecost? Yes, but he was filled again and again and again and again. So here's, here's my question for you today. And, and I've got these questions in your notes. Because some of you here today, you, you need to do a little inventory of your spiritual life. And here's what I want to tell you today. The Spirit of God is an incredible thing. The Holy Spirit is, is a person who we can grieve. He's part of the Trinity, that perfect union of Father, Son, Holy Spirit that glorify each other. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit's not going to make you do something weird or goofy. You may have saw something on TV and say, Pastor, I saw what some of these guys with the white suits and the hair pulled back, always asking for money and all this other stuff. They make people do weird things. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the power, the true power of the Holy Spirit, the biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit. The biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit, He wants to make you His witnesses. 
and through the presence and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about this more in a later time, through the power and the giftings of the Holy Spirit, He gives you gifts to benefit your life and to build up the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit will give you discernment in situations. The Holy Spirit will give you discernment between what is evil and what is not. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will give you knowledge in situations that you never thought you could gain before. The Holy Spirit will help you edify the body of Christ through its giftings. The Holy Spirit can bless you with a prayer language that, that Paul emphasized in 1 Corinthians 14 where it says, this prayer language, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. This is a prayer language that I have that edifies myself. The Holy Spirit wants to pray through you. The Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit wants to work powerfully in your life to edify you and to give you grace for living each and every day. So ask yourself, Pastor, the question this morning, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? That's the question. So what I would ask to you is, here's some things that you can check in your heart to, to know, am I seeking this power of the Holy Spirit? Do you have a hunger for God's Word? Do you have a deep love for the Word and fellow believers? Paul said, what good is it in 1 Corinthians 13 if, if I have heavenly languages and I can speak with the tongues of angels, yet I don't love? I'm just a noisy symbol, a, a, a clanging gong and symbol. I'm just making a lot of noise. It really doesn't have any meaning unless I have love. Because one of the great evidences of a spirit-filled life is my love for other people, for the world, for the body of Christ. Do I have a love for people? Is my love waxed cold? I'm wondering if you're filled. Do, do, do you have a desire to share what Christ has done in your life? Do you pray for the Holy Spirit to flow through your life? Do you lack spiritual power in your life? Do you succumb to the same temptation in your life that's been nagging you for years? I would say to you, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I know that a lot of people try to come up with techniques and, and they try to mimic that you got to do A, B, and C in order to be filled with the Spirit. Here's what I'm going to tell you today. There was no perfect formula in the Old Testament of how people were filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, sometimes they laid hands on them. Sometimes they were just seeking the Lord in prayer. But I know the one common element for those early believers when they were filled with the Spirit, in every case, we know one thing. It began with prayer. They began to seek the face of God. And what I would encourage you here today is to begin to open up your life and say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to flow in me. I desire that gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be a powerful witness. And with that comes the evidence of the Holy Spirit and the Lord will bless you. And so as we see throughout the book of Acts, we see this evidence of when the they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in languages that they didn't know. That's cool. And God used it for his purposes to be a witness to the world around them. Not for themselves, 
but to be a witness of the power of God in their life. We know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to speak the word boldly. We know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to stand up to situations that they could not stand up in their own strength. That was the filling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We know that through the filling of the Holy Spirit, God will impact you and gift you to give you discernment and knowledge and wisdom in situations that you never thought you could have. And sometimes this is what I tell people. People say, Pastor, I don't know what to do in this situation. You know, I know what the Word of God says. I know I've been reading it and I've got the wisdom of God. Listen, the Word of God always confirms the Spirit of God. Not the other way around. Because some people say, well, I feel God's doing this. I feel God's doing this. And it could be all weird and wacky and way off the deep end. I'm like, okay, what does the Word of God say? Let's filter it through the Word of God to make sure it stands up to the truth of the Word of God. Amen? So when, when we feel the Holy Spirit moving through our lives and it's confirmed through the Word of God and we know we're not doing something that's not in accordance with the Word of God and we know that we're in the will of God because we're following the Word of God, the Holy Spirit wants to work through you and speak to your life. And I just thought as we were, um, as we were worshiping, I, um, I felt like I just needed to share this with you. I'm just going to share it. So maybe it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit Maybe it was the pepperoni pizza I ate last night. I don't know, but I'm going to share it with you. I don't think I've ever shared this with the congregation before. I've shared it with some of you, but I've never shared it before. And I just want to share it with you today because this is how powerful the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. Many of you know we lost our first child 15 years ago. It was brutal. 16 years ago, actually. My gosh, so long ago. And uh, I was a pastor at the time, and I can remember that um, after about three or four months, the, the senior pastor of our church said, Barney, you're ready to go on hospital visitations. I need you to visit somebody at, at, um, at, uh, at the hospital, and, and can you go? And I felt better about it. And the last place where we saw our daughter was, you know, she was you know, just days old, had major heart surgery, and she died from complications of the heart surgery that she had to go through, and she had these major, major heart defects. So, so I had to go to the same MUSC, Medical University of South Carolina. I had to go there. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm good, Pastor Larry. I'll go, and I think I'm okay. So I go to the hospital, and I'm looking at where this young teenage boy is. He's on life support. I had to go in and pray. Also, I'm, I'm looking at, I, I go through the information. I said, where is this boy? On, he's on the fourth floor, ICU, and intensive care there. And I'm like, okay, so I go up there. So I'm walking down the hall, and all of a sudden, everything's starting to come. I'm like, wait a minute. This looks real familiar. As I began to walk down the hall. It was the exact place, exact room where I held Bailey for the last time. So I'm like, I can't do this. I, I, can't, I can't go in there. I just, I, I couldn't, I'm like, I'm crying. I'm in the hallway. This nurse comes up to me and says, are you, and I've got my pastor badge. She goes, are you okay? Do you need help? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And, um. I just couldn't gather the strength to go in. It was just too raw. I was too raw. And here are these kids, on, and I, I needed to go in there and pray with the family. I'm like, Lord, I need your strength. I can't do this on my own. So I'm walking down the hallway, and I just happened, happened to look, look out the window, and I'm just sitting there, and I got tears in my eyes. I, I can't do it. All of a sudden, I'm looking out the window, and I'm on the fourth floor of this hospital. It's all industrial. And I look out, and this, the, the ledge of the window was a white dove. I'm like, what? Now listen, before, 
please don't seek signs, okay? I'm not telling you everybody's got to see a white dove now, okay, in order to feel God. I'm not saying that. That's why, that's why I was so reluctant to ever share the story. But I just felt like I need to share it with you because I, didn't, I don't want people looking for, okay, God, Holy Spirit, show me the sign in the sky. Or, you know, I know people do that and it just gets weird and flaky and that's not what I'm saying, telling you to do. Don't everybody go look for a white dove. But I've never seen a white dove. I've seen pigeons on the, you know, on the industrial buildings. And here's this white dove. And I, I, all I can tell you is this, is that the Spirit of God spoke to me so clear. If it was an audible voice, it was so loud. It was, my heart was just beating. And what the Lord spoke to my heart is this. It's just as the dove descended upon Christ on the day he was baptized in the Jordan River, and we understand that the dove is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Many times you'll see the dove, you know, in many churches or whatever. That's, that's, you know, the symbolic thing of the Holy Spirit coming to the world. And as I looked at the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart, and Christ just spoke to my heart and said, Barden, I'll never, ever leave you. And I've given you my Holy Spirit, and I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit now to give you strength. And at that moment, as I prayed, I felt such a presence of God's Holy Spirit flow through my life to give me strength so that I could go into that room, the very room I held my daughter for the last time, to go in and pray with that family who had a son that was on his deathbed and give strength to that family. People, I could have not done it without the filling of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the comfort of the Holy Spirit in your life. People, when you feel alone and abandoned and all by yourself and you feel no hope, that's when the Holy Spirit wants to flood into your heart and give you comfort and power for living each and every day. And I would tell you here today is just start to seek the face of the Holy Spirit. Open up your lives to that power and say, God, I need your filling today. I need a fresh touch. If, if you've never prayed that, well, then let, we're going to pray for it today. And it doesn't matter where you are. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit in your car. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit kneeling at your bed. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit on your break at your job. Be careful working. But no, I'm just teasing. Uh, you know, it can be at church. It can be in your own private prayer time. But listen, let's be a church that is Spirit-filled. This is a Spirit-filled church. And that's what we believe. And that's what we desire. We don't want you to do something goofy or weird or I'm not going to make you do something that, that's uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit wants to work through your life in unity and power. Begin to seek his face. And I think some of you have been so apprehensive to do that because you feel like it's going to make you do something weird. No. He's going to give you power for, for living each and every day. The Holy Spirit wants to bless you. And as we see through the book of Acts, we see the blessing. They, they began to speak other languages and tongues that edified them and gave them strength through the, 
power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. They began to speak the word boldly. All these things occurred when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I would just ask you, I would implore you today, just seek his face and see what God does. And what this early church was doing, this 120 were doing, they were praying and they were just seeking the face of God. And God blessed them and gave them this wonderful gift to help them live for Christ each and every day in their lives. Amen? That's what I desire today. So I want you to stand this morning. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to, we're going to worship. Here's how we're going to end today as we just sing, sing this song today as we close. And I'm going to pray for you. Listen, if, uh, if you want to come to the altars and pray today, the altars will be open. You can sit at your seat and pray and just seek the face of God. But as we just close in song today, um, let's, just seek, let's just seek Jesus. Just ask the Lord, if, if you've never experienced that filling or that gift, just open up your life today. Just say, God, I, I just want everything you have. If it's a gift and you desire to give it to me, then Lord, I want to be open to that gift. I want your Holy Spirit not only to be in me, but to flow through me. I don't want to be a stagnant farm pond where, where the water just stays and sits and gets all ucky and mucky and weedy. I want to be that clean, flowing stream where the water flows in and the water flows out, where there's a lot of oxygen, there's a lot of life in streams that move and flow, right? Okay, amen? Good, me, okay, I just, okay. And that's, that's what God desires to do. He wants you to be a flowing river where he just allows himself to flow through you today and give you power for living. So Lord, as we come before you, as we seek your face, we open up our lives to you today, God. Lord, I pray you'd fill this church, Lord. You'd bless them with a wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift, God, that you desire to give. God, I thank you that you don't withhold any gift. That you desire to bless your people with power, Lord, to live each and every day. And there's some here today that are just discouraged and battling with the same stuff in their life. And God, you're telling them to come. To come to me and let me refresh you. Let me fill you. Let me give you my gift that I desire to give you. But you got to come by faith. You got to seek my face. You got to open up your heart to me to allow me to bless you today. So, Lord, I pray that for every person here today, Lord, we open up our lives to you. So as we stand in your presence, we say, fill us, Lord. Revive us, God. Revive our church, Lord, I pray, with that power so that we can be your witnesses, that you can give us strength in this world to do what you've called us to do. And we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's seek his face this morning, shall we? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, John. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your
want you to bow your heads with me. So we just go to the Lord in prayer. The Lord laid this message on someone's heart during the praise and worship before I even spoke the message. And this is how the Holy Spirit works in our midst. The Holy Spirit always works in unity to speak to our hearts, to know the will of God. And I just want to read this to you, and I hope this encourages, encourages you this morning. This is what the Lord laid on someone's heart during praise and worship. Do you have the same urgency to be connected and to be filled with the power of my Holy Spirit as you do when electricity in your house is cut off? And are you desperately waiting for it to be turned back on? Do you perceive when the power source is cut off? And are you cast into darkness and weakness? But when you are connected to the right power source, you are immediately bathed in its light and energized to do many things you could never do on your own. A lamp needs continually flowing, connected to its power source. You are that lamp, and my spirit is your power source. Is your power source switched on? Are you desperately longing for the light and power of my Holy Spirit to energize your life? Lord, I believe that's a word from you today. And Lord, I know there's a lot of people here today that, that love you and, and desire you, but Lord, the power switch on their life is turned off. They're not allowing you to flow through their life. Maybe for whatever reason, Lord, I don't know, maybe bitterness, maybe some things from their past, maybe there's some lingering sin in their life that's keeping you from flowing through their life. Lord, whatever that blockage is, we give to you. And we ask for your forgiveness. And we seek your face. And I pray, Lord, that we would know you. That we would be conduits of your spirit to flow through us. And Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you're, as Luke records, was your apostles were sensitive in the beginning of the early church to listen to your voice. To follow the prompting of the spirit that led them to be used greatly for you and to make a huge impact for your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray each and every day that as we walk in this world, we would be prompted by your spirit, that you would speak to us, God, that you would show us who we need to share with and who we need to speak with, God. And Lord, you just don't want this to be a Sunday event. You want this to be an everyday event as we remain sensitive to your calling and your voice in our life. Thank you for your faithfulness. And so, Lord, as we just stand in your presence, we say, turn the switch on. Lord, we say, come into our lives and fill us today, God, with your power. We need it today. We can't do it without you, Lord. And so we thank you, God. I thank you for your people. Lord, I pray that they would continually seek you in the presence of your Holy Spirit, that they would have a greater love and a greater boldness for you than they'd never had before. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. God is good. Let's give him praise today. Amen. Listen. Listen, if... Um,
we don't, we don't have Sunday school, but if some of you just want to hang out in the sanctuary and continue to pray and just seek the face of God, it's open. It's available for you. Otherwise, go in God's grace. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Amen.